0: We are excited this morning to continue our study of Philippians chapter 2. So I'd like to invite you to turn there with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. As you know, if you've been with us over these last weeks, we are in Philippians chapter 2 and about ready to end that chapter and move on to chapter 3, which will begin for us that second Sunday in September, we are in the section where Paul commends to the Philippians two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we've not yet discovered what Paul wants to say to the Philippians about Epaphroditus, and we will do that next Lord's Day on the 29th. But for the previous mornings and this morning, we have occupied ourselves and will on this man, Timothy. Look at Philippians 2, verses 19 to 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned Now, this is a passage, believe it or not, on discipleship, discipleship. My wife and I were talking on the way here this morning, and we were talking about how sometimes that word discipleship can be even in and of itself somewhat intimidating, especially if you talk to someone and you might suggest that they disciple someone else. And uh, it seems as though, uh, more often than not, I suppose, that people are almost immediately intimidated because they say, well, what do I say, and how do we conduct this, and uh, uh, what resources might I use, and, and uh, I, I, I've never done this sort of thing before, and I, I don't know how to do that, so I don't think I'm ready to do that, so no thank you. And really what we're talking about in terms of discipleship is nothing more than what I mentioned to Beth this morning, and that is a kind of intentional spiritual friendship. That's really what we're talking about, intentional spiritual friendship. Now, those three words are apt in their choosing because you are intending in a way so as to achieve a kind of friendship with someone for which they will learn from you and you from them. It's intentional. In other words, it's not haphazard. It's not, um, maybe we will, maybe we won't. Uh, I haven't spoken to her or him in several months, but we hope to get back together again. No, it's an intentional relationship in which you're learning together about the things of Christ. And it's spiritual Spiritual in the sense that you're not just talking about the weather, you're not just talking about uh, your work-related matters, you're not just talking about uh, your, your family or other friends or a, a kind of um, uh, non-essential relationship in terms of the uh, things you speak about. No, it's an intentional spiritual friendship in the sense that it's spiritual, this friendship, at its core. You have an opportunity to learn together, spiritually speaking. And so you are going to the Word of God, and you are intending to understand what it teaches, and you are wanting to grow with each other, regardless of who's the disciple er and who's the disciplee. In fact, sometimes those words are a bit overused. We're really talking about two people coming together, as you've heard often, I'm sure, like two beggars, one telling another where he's found bread. And this is the opportunity to have a spiritual friendship because it's spiritual, it's doctrinal at its core, because it's important for us as we pursue Christ together to know what Christ commands and to follow those commands. And then it's, of course, a friendship. It's a friendship that is intentional and it's spiritual, but it's a friendship because you are growing together And you are growing together with a common core and a common purpose and a common goal. And as friends grow together, they grow closer, not simply to the Lord, although that's the most important, but they're also growing together as friends in Christ. It could be uh, two of you walking together in the mornings. It could be two of you sitting with a coffee table in between you and your Bibles are opened and you are speaking of things divine. It it could be even more formal. It could be with a a workbook or a book or a a Bible book or a particular chapter in which both of you are seeking to memorize. It could be that uh, it's a combination of any or all of those things. It it really doesn't matter so much the, the context in which Your intentional spiritual friendship is happening, what matters is the intentional spiritual friendship. And I would say that the Apostle Paul could not have commended Timothy as he did to the Philippians unless he'd had some kind of intentional spiritual friendship with this young man. Now, it certainly was, I'm sure, formal. But I'm also assuming because they didn't have the kind of transportation that you and I enjoy, that in their walks together for hundreds of miles, they were redeeming that time by their talking with one another on the way about the things that matter most. And I'm sure because of Paul's revelations from Christ Himself. That Paul, as that senior man, not only chronologically, but also that man who'd received such revelations, was also that one who was taking the initiative to tell Timothy, here's how the Christian life is supposed to be lived. Here is how Jew and Gentile have come together. Because remember I told you that Timothy's mom and dad were mixed. That is, one was a Jewish side on the parenting and one was the Greek side of the parenting. Jew and Gentile. And I'm sure Timothy would have a lot of questions about the Jew-Gentile question. And I'm sure Paul also continued to say to Timothy, give me your prayer requests so that I can pray for those. Timothy You're my son in the faith. I long for us to be together. But I also know that there are some exigencies that you and I ought to understand about my need to commission you to go over to a place like the Philippian church to check on them because I'm incarcerated here in this Roman jail. And so while I want you to be with me and I love our fellowship and our intimacy grows spiritually more and more the more we're together, I also sense the need that the Philippians need you more desperately than I do at this point. So my dear friend, go and go be with them and sure, make sure that you are giving me a report about their spiritual welfare. I want you because you're the guy. You're the man. In fact, so much so, and we've already studied this, He says in verse 20 of Philippians 2, for I have no one like him. No one like him. And you remember I told you that that was a phrase that put two particular Greek words together to form one. Timothy and I are equal-souled, used very rarely and only here in that sense of Paul saying, I'm going to send you my alter ego. I'm going to send you someone who has my very heart. There's no one like him. And then he says, of course, in verse 21, there are a lot of people that seek their own interest, but Timothy, he's going to seek Christ's interest because he's totally committed to Christ and because I'm totally committed to Christ and because I see that in him, I'm going to send him on my behalf because that's just like me sending myself. And then he says about Timothy, verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth. And I told you that was that Greek concept of dokimos, where they borrowed it, did Paul, from the artisan room, from the smelter from the man who was all about uh, working with precious metals and you placed those precious metals into the fiery furnace and you turned up that heat uh, to an alarming degree so that when you were finished with the process, uh, you would take out that board and you would see that all of the dross and all of the impurities had been burned away. That's how proven Timothy is. That's how much I rely on him. That's how much... I want him and no other. Now, of course, it could have been that no other was readily available. Other men for whom Paul said they have proven worth, like Epaphroditus, like others, like Silas. The list could go on and on. But in this context and in God's providence and for this purpose and this time, Paul says, I want to send you my equal-souled brother and I want to send you that one who is proven in his worth And I want him to to do what I would do if I were there. And what would that be? Verse 20 says, he will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And at the end of verse 22, as a son with a father, he has slaved with me in the gospel. That's the word for slave. The word serve almost in a sense kind of tones it down too much. Paul says that Timothy and I are slaves. He actually mentions that in chapter 1, verse 1. We're we're slaves of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and Master. And so when I'm sending myself, even though I can't come, I'm sending you Timothy because he's not only proven in his worth, but he's slavishly devoted himself to the gospel. And so therefore, this is a proven brother. My friends, that cannot happen outside intentional spiritual friendship. It just can't. You have to be intentional about those you're meeting with, those you're fellowshipping with, those you're reaching out to. And do you remember last time I gave you a very, very practical message last Sunday about this idea of discipleship, this this intentional spiritual friendship, and I told you that there was a kind of filial discipleship both literal and spiritual. You remember that? I had said that going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and moving forward even in the New Testament, there's a kind of discipleship that goes on first and more immediately so in the context of our own families, right? I'm a dad. I have a wife. And we banded together as we came together as Christians in our marriage to, if the Lord would give us children to instill upon them the truths of Scripture and so we would walk together and we would memorize Scripture and we would pray together and as soon as those kids came and they came really fast. You know, if you do what married people do, uh, they come and they came really fast. In fact, eight of them and there were eight of them I think in the first 12 years of our marriage. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of work. And Beth did it all. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And there was an opportunity for those kids with the heavy and weighted responsibility that she and I bore before the Lord, that we have to instill upon them the truth of the Word of God so that it is so imprinted on their minds and hearts that whatever the Lord did with them spiritually, because He's going to deal with each and every child individually, there's no group plan for heaven, and whatever the Lord would do, the Lord would have to do in each of their individual human hearts, but that we were responsible for the instilling upon that heart and upon their minds the opportunity to at least know who God is on a biblical level, on a situational level, on a practical level, and that we would pray that, God willing, He would match this kind of spiritual, intentional discipleship onto their souls so that in God's perfect timing and by His will, if He were to open up their spiritual eyes and ears to understand the gospel, they would have all of that previous reservoir of truth to build on. And we were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination but we did endeavor to try to be faithful. And I think on a literal level of this kind of discipleship of your own children is utterly paramount for the church. I've joked with people, well, why did you want to have that many kids? I said, well, for it's the greatest propagation of the gospel because they have to come to church because I commanded so. And I get 18 or so years of preaching directly at them In fact, I'm looking at some of them right now, and I'm so grateful to God that they're not only here because I asked them to for many years in a row, but they want to be here. They want to be here. They want to learn. Now take that what we called literal filial discipleship and move it into the spiritual dimension for even if we're not talking about our literal children. We still are talking about friends and fellows in the gospel, men and women, for whom that spiritual discipleship ought to still be continuing. Where we're meeting with each other and we're praying together and we're reading Scripture together and we're memorizing God's Word together and we're imparting truth together. In a sense, whether you're talking about literal or spiritual discipleship, all of the principles are transferable. They really are. And I told you in this filial discipleship that there was an opportunity for us to see a number of things, especially about the life of Christ and how you should learn Christ and how you you should love Christ and then transfer that to your friends. When you and I are discipling others, it's just an opportunity for us to be who we are in Christ, growing in Christ, and doing our best to make sure that everybody in our sphere of influence is also hearing about our love for Christ. Which means there's an accountability that you and I, if we're endeavoring to live for Christ, then we ought to live for Christ not just when we're with them, but also when we're away from them because we don't want to be hypocritical. We want to be the same as who we are in the church as we are in our home. The same who we are in the job as we are in the church. And so that can be, I admit, somewhat august, somewhat challenging, somewhat intimidating. And the easiest thing for people to do at times is to say something like this well, I don't, I don't know as much as so-and-so and I'm intimidated by that and, and I'm not sure I'm ready to be the discipler and that's what you centered in on last week, uh, what it means to be the discipler, whether you're nurturing your own kids or you're nurturing others in the body of Christ and, and uh, you know, you said some many wonderful things. In fact, someone emailed me and said, I did notice this last week. Your message was so practical and so pointed that several times I could hear a pin drop and my response to that is, you know, that's the, that's the case because all of us understand that deep down in our hearts, even though we might assume we're not up for the task, we know we're really responsible to do it. We're really responsible to do it. And if someone says, but I don't know a whole lot, and I've said for years, then find somebody who knows more than you do and ask them to teach you what they know. And there's always going to be someone who knows less than you do. So after you've found somebody who knows more than you do and they teach you what they know, then you turn around and teach somebody who knows less than you do what you know that you didn't know before. Does that make sense? That's really what intentional spiritual friendship is. You you don't have to call it discipleship. You could call it nurturing. You could call it friendship. You could call it fellowship. You could call it learning. You could call it growing. It, It doesn't matter what term you use what matters is that you're doing it and what you do when you get together and of course we're talking about men with men and women with women we're talking about the sense of showing each other who God is what he's like and what he's done in your life that's that's really all we're talking about and last week was all devoted to the concept of what the discipler should be like And this morning, for the rest of our time together, I want us to focus in on what the person discipled is seeing. Who are you as a follower? So if last time the idea of filial discipleship was our first outline point, today it is this. I want to call it faithful followership. Faithful followership. Everybody's a follower. Just because I'm the preacher here, just because I have the title, pastor, senior pastor, it's not as though I don't follow anybody. That's not true. If I were to say to myself, well, I've learned it all. I've got it all wired now. I'm not going to follow anybody. That would be the first time that I would probably, even if I didn't perceive it at that point, realize that I'm lost. If I'm not following somebody, then I'm going to get lost. I'm going to lose my way. I'm not going to be able to to challenge somebody to be led by me if I'm not also myself following someone. It's not like uh, I get to sort of, uh, you know, skip the discipleship process and say, Oh, I just follow Christ now. And There might be somebody out there like that who they think they've hit some kind of zenith position spiritually to where uh, all mortals uh, don't, don't really measure up to, to this guy who's a leader and never a follower. Not so. Not so. The people who come by my garage and see all those books and they, they came by yesterday and somebody stopped and he walked in and he walked up to me and said, gee whiz, there are a lot of books here. And my standard answer is the same every single time. And I really mean it even though they laugh. And what I say is, there's so much I don't know. And these are my disciples. I'm, f- I'm following them. I-, I pick out a resource that absolutely does nothing but slay me spiritually. And I read that book. Most of my disciples are dead. And that's okay. Because standing on the shoulders of the living chain of discipleship are those whom God used to write something that absolutely turns my world upside down and I love it. I'd rather do that than anything else. In fact, truth be told, there's nothing else I'm good at, at all. But I am a follower of those who I'm to follow, because in God's providence, they've crossed my path, and they know more than I do, and I want to follow their lead. I want to be a faithful follower in this faithful followership business. So I'm the same as you. I'm just following maybe in a little bit of a a different way. I'm also following my fellow elders. I'm following them. I follow how they conduct themselves in meetings. And there are meetings that go by in which I say, I'd like to be more like that. I'd like to respond more like that. We're following both living and dead disciples in a way in which God continues to teach us. Do you want to hear some principles this morning about being a faithful follower? Let's go. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 21. We're right there. Like a son to me as a father. Find out who your dad is. Find out who is that person that you can be close to who's like a father to you. And like a son, do everything within your power to learn everything you can from your dad. Spiritually speaking, find the people that you can have access to and plead with them to disciple you, to nurture you, to teach you, so that you may follow them faithfully. Be proactive. Be intentional. Be an aggressive person when it comes to reaching out to others. And might I add this, it could very well be that the most important aspect of being a son or daughter of a spiritual father or mother is consistency. Consistency. Don't be there one time and off the next three and then back one and then miss the next two. Do your best to say to oneself, self, be faithful by being consistent. That's the first thing. And it's hard. I mean, we have that men's group at 6 a.m. in the morning. It's hard to get up. I mean, you got to get up early, and if you're like me, your hair is a total rat's nest, you got to get in the shower. And you got to get out of the shower, and then you got to get in the car, and then you got to drive. And then when you show up, you got to be there. I mean, really be there. I mean, be there in spirit as well as physical, right? And you're there because you want to be there. And if you don't want to be there on a particular morning or whenever it is or whenever you might be meeting or whenever the, the, the schedule uh, where the two of you or the four of you, you're, you're committing to it, resolve in your heart to say, unless it's absolutely necessary for me not to be there, I shall be there because I know that I need this. Pray that God will give you the spiritual fortitude to be consistent, to do everything you can. Now, all of us know there are vacations, there are sicknesses, there are providences that don't allow you to be there. But don't make a particular excuse a providence. Don't say to yourself, you know, I intended to be there, but you know... And then you know in your heart you don't really have a good reason. You don't really have a good reason. Be a faithful follower by being like a son to a father, like a daughter to a mother. One of the things I'm so grateful to God for that is in the midst of Beth's cancer diagnosis, her daughters and her daughter-in-laws are wanting to spend as much time with her as possible. So on Monday nights they've been trying to get together, those who can, and they have been trying to get as close with her as possible because of the circumstances. But isn't it true and shouldn't it be the case that we don't have to receive a diagnosis of something like that in order to have that kind of heart? That I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to be in your life. I want your life to rub off on mine. Be a faithful follower in this followership business. And then, listen to this passage, Luke 6.40. I quoted to you last time, Luke 6.40. This is what the Lord Jesus Himself said, a disciple... Is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, isn't that the whole point of discipleship? To be like the one who's discipling you. Of course. And when Jesus says you are fully trained, you will be like him, you will be like her. Now, for our context, since we're not the Lord Jesus Himself, when we disciple people or nurture them or spiritually befriend them, they are probably going to be like us, both good and bad, right? And and in a sense, that's that sort of um, one step removed of discipleship between the Lord Jesus Himself, but if you take the Lord Jesus and His Word, the truth of His Word, the entire Bible, and you use that as your collective frame of reference, if you're talking about just one to one, or one to three, or whatever it may be, then both of you are trying to be like Him. Both of you are trying to aspire to godliness for Christ. And we don't have to go far in the Bible when we see this concept of how we, if it's one to one or one to three, even the discipler and even the disciples, we don't have to go far in the Bible to see that there are passages that tell us that our ultimate example, our exemplar, is Christ himself. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians 2.5. Philippians 2.5, just a page maybe, or maybe it's on the same page as Philippians 2.21. You remember, of course, that it says, Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What mind is that? It's a mind of humility. Because you remember, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, left the abode of heaven in order to make of himself nothing. So that he might, in humility, become a man to live this journey on earth as a man and to die a very painful death through his obedience and through his humility so that you and I can have the same mind in ourselves as a local congregation. And that mind is the mind of humility. Which is to say, not only should I be consistent, but I should be humble that says, I need people's help in my life. I need disciplers in my life. I need someone who will come alongside me. And I may not know as much as they do, and that's okay. That's why I'm seeking them out. I'm already acknowledging that there can be a level of discipleship where I'm admitting that they know more. And when I say they know more, I don't mean just they're packed with knowledge. Their heads are full of facts. I'm saying that their level of maturity, their level of growth... Their level of Christ-likeness is so evident to me in such a way that I'm saying I want a lot of that to rub off on a lot of me. I want the humility of Jesus Christ to be evident not only in myself, but in this local church. The exemplar, the model to follow is Jesus Christ. And you remember I told you last time, we can get so carried away with this discipleship idea That sometimes the discipler might be trying to say, maybe not in so many words and maybe sometimes not even intending to do so, but they become the most important person in your life and they shouldn't. Christ is the most important person in our life. So as long as that discipler is pointing the two of them to Christ and as long as the follower being faithful is seeing through such a human being to Christ, we're on the right path. We're on the right path. And the way you do it is through humble obedience. Through humble obedience. And you do it through spiritual attitudes. Let's, let's call it that. The, the kind of humility that we're talking about and the kind of humility that Paul speaks of here in chapter 2. Look at verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. What, what kind of mind? Having the same love. Being in full accord, that's unity, and of one mind, that's harmony. Do nothing from selfish ambition. What is that? That's a non-self-seeking. But with humility or in humility, that's being humble. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's service. So so what we're really talking about is love and unity and harmony and non-self-seeking and humility and service. Those are the kinds of spiritual attitudes that we're talking about. And if you can grab a hold of someone who you believe works to embody those kinds of spiritual attitudes, then lock on to them. Lock on to them tenaciously. Don't let them go. Say to them, I am need the influence of your godliness in my life, not just for myself, in and of myself, but for the opportunity to speak to others so that ultimately I can see those same principles inculcated in their life, instilled in their lives. Isn't that really what we talked about in terms of parenting? I mean, you want as godly parents to be able, and this is uh, applicable even to a single parent, to be able to so instill in your children the idea of your spiritual virtues, as, as inconsistent as they may be at times, but the more you grow and the more consistent you become, your heart is to instill that into your children. The same thing's true spiritually. You want to be able to instill spiritual attitudes into fellow brothers and sisters in the fellowship so that this church is being transformed from the inside out. And then people will begin to say, hey, something going on with Bethany. Something going on up on that hill. I want to find out what's going on. I have never seen the kind of love and humility and harmony and unity and non-self-seeking and service as I've seen in those people, what are they giving them to drink? What are they imbibing? What's going on here? And we know faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is? And they shall know us by our? That love will give the kind of spiritual attitude fruit that will make other people want to come here so that they could find out how to love like that. This is critical. And this is, this is Christ. That's who He was. And it's not just spiritual attitudes. I would even put in the component, and you know I would, suffering. Not just spiritual attitudes, Philippians 2, five, but suffering. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's, it's not just a discipleship in all the goodies like love and harmony and unity and non-self-seeking. Those are all great. And uh, we'll say hip, hip, hooray, we're into those, but not the suffering part. 1 Peter 2, it certainly says Christ is our example. 1 Peter two twenty one, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you, what? An example. Leaving you an example. An example for what? so that you might follow in his steps. Well, if it says there, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, an example of suffering. An example of suffering. And if you were in a a particular part of the world right now, as a 21st century Christian, you might very well be suffering at the hands of the authorities. Now, we don't experience a lot of that. It could come. But we have to talk about it, and we have to say that First Peter chapter 2 is in our Bibles, and we have to see that it says here, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. What kind of steps? Verse 22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him, that is God the Father, who judges justly. Now, that's a kind of followership I can follow, right? I can follow that. I want to follow that. I I want to be in a position where someone reviles me and I don't revile in return when I'm suffering, but I do not threaten in response. But ever and always, continuing to entrust myself to God the Father who judges righteously or justly. And... John 13, 15. John 13, 15. If if it's spiritual attitudes that I'm to follow with Christ as an example, if it's suffering that I'm to follow in the example of Jesus Christ, John 13 says I'm also to follow by way of a servant-hearted attitude. John chapter 13. This, of course, verse 4. John 13, it says, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And you know, Peter had objections to it. And when the Lord said, you you need this. And this was, by the way, emblematic of the idea of a washing. And of course, it's the idea used in this very, very stark glowing illustration about washing disciples' feet. It's the kind of washing that speaks of regeneration. And so Peter's not quite sure of what's going on, and then the Lord Jesus corrects him, and then he starts to go overboard, then wash the whole of me, and then Jesus says, that's already been done. And then this magnanimous statement, Why? Because truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So we're talking about service. One of the greatest ways for you to be a faithful follower is to be a faithful servant. Just faithfully serving. And it's the Lord Jesus who's compelling us to be such an example this is the lord this is the master and he took his robe off and and he took the water basin and he took the towel and he wiped those dirty grungy feet and in those days they didn't have the kind of concrete that we can walk on or asphalt that we can walk on their feet were stinky and smelly to the max and he washed them as a servant He was giving himself as the ultimate example because in a few days from there his service would also include giving up himself in violent sacrificial death. And this is the art of serving one another. With the idea of suffering if need be and with the kind of spiritual attitudes that are to be ours in Christ no wonder Jesus is the ultimate example. And you say, well, but I got a problem. And here's my problem. My problem is, I'm not Jesus and neither are you. And you'd be right. So, you're talking about a man who never sinned. You're talking about a a man who was sinless. You're, You're talking about a man that, frankly, I don't think I can seem to relate to. Well, maybe that's the case in one sense and I would understand it, and so would you. I I, I can't aspire to such a level. I, I can't grow to such a level. I can't be like the perfect Savior, the Son of God. And maybe even God Himself can accommodate to our weakness by saying, let me give you a few other examples. How about Paul? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is this is what Paul says, and apparently under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he can say it without guile, he, he can say it without equivocation, he can say it with utter sincerity, and what he says in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 are these words, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. There there is a living legacy. There, There is a living chain of discipleship. And it goes from Christ, the very perfect one, to Paul, the sinful one. The one who actually labeled himself the chief of sinners. The one who said about himself that I am battling with my humanness, my remaining sin, the sin of my heart every day. I can relate to a guy like that. And he says, be imitators of me. Imitators. Mimitas. Be a mimic. Be a mimic of me. Now, he qualifies it as I am of Christ. He's not saying that he's the ultimate perfect exemplar. No, but he is saying, I am an example. I am an example that you should follow. And what kind of example? Look at chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. Here's an example. This is what he says about all of these ministry agents, all of these disciplers. And he says, 1 Corinthians 4.1, This is how one should regard us, how should they regard us? As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found, what? Faithful. Faithful followership. We're not talking about perfection. But we are talking about faithfulness. Just being faithful. Just endeavoring to put one foot in front of another so as to be faithful. That's what we want to do. I'm not even asking for anybody to do something outside of what the Word of God says already commends them to do. And, and Paul must have thought the same thing. Now he must have thought, now I'm not asking you to go beyond what Scripture says. I know this because look at verse 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos, that's another one of the brothers in the faith, for your benefit, Corinthians, that you may learn by us not to go on or beyond what is written. Hey, Scripture alone. All I'm telling you is to be a faithful follower according to scriptural dictates. That's all. That's all, that's all Paul's asking for. That, that's what we've got to be. And he says with his own humility in verse 7, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, look, everything I've received, it's by Grace. I'm not boasting as though I'm this great servant. I'm this great steward. I'm just trying to be faithful. And if you're aspiring to this, don't go beyond what is written. Just try to be faithful. And he says, I am to be faithful because, verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. There it is, spiritual children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, teachers, helpers, guides, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. You say, that's such a tall order. How could I say to another human being, follow me as I follow Christ? Here, just, just jump on and we'll, we'll go together. And that's where we get that sort of intimidated sense of things. Like, I can't do this. This is, I can't go up to another person and say, hey, would you, would you like to be in a discipleship relationship and, oh, by the way, if you're going to be a faithful follower, be an imitator of me, would you? You know, somebody goes, no, 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 can't say that. In fact, I could know a bunch of ways in which I'm saying, please, please don't follow that in me. No, we're just talking about an aspiring to faithfulness. It's not the perfection of your life that we're talking about, but it is the direction of it. And and God will will bless, and God will be merciful. And there are even examples in the Scripture where maybe there was a guy who maybe he thought of following alongside Paul, like maybe John Mark, for instance. And according to the book of Acts, Barnabas and Paul were there, and John Mark... uh, Maybe in Paul's mind wasn't quite cutting it. And so Paul said to Barnabas, Can't use him. My paraphrase, Can't use him. Barnabas says, I think he's growing. I think he can do it. And there became a heated disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And so John Mark went with Barnabas. Paul went on. And then later in life, Paul said, John Mark, he's faithful to me for service. You know, Not everybody is going to be as following, as faithfully as they could, but they should and maybe one day, even after a few stumbles, they will be. And you can do it. And you can be a faithful follower. And upon what basis? Well, guess what? Peter ended up being the guy to disciple John Mark. And when John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, it has Peter's footprints all over it. And and Peter worked with him and peter peter had his own problems didn't he and yet john mark followed and there was a discipleship relationship and you know how i think that discipleship relationship went turn over to 1 peter chapter 2 and i'll tell you i'll tell you how it worked because this is an amazing thing i want you to see that followership is a ministry of being reminded it's a ministry of being reminded I mean, we need that constant reminding about faithfulness, about obedience, about loyalty. Uh, we, we need to be faithfully taught the Word and reminded about the Word time and time again. And look what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says so very clearly, verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And he's going to remind them about that. In fact, he says it in verse 12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is discipleship. This is evangelism. This is you and me taking ourselves and doing what we can do So that we can remind others and preach the gospel so that they can get it and they can understand it. You say, well, where's the reminder part? Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. He says, therefore, and I'm sure John Mark was in this, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it is right, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Yes, reminder. We've got to remind each other of these truths. That takes our close scrutiny with one another. And look at verse 15. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. That's a faithful discipleship, isn't it? Going to remind you and remind you and remind you so that when I'm gone, you'll recall these things. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. He just keeps talking about reminding. Chapter 3, verse 1. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And what is he reminding them about? Verse 18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That's the goal. That's the goal of all discipleship. To be like Jesus Christ. To mimic Jesus Christ. To be a follower of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.1 says, Imitate, beloved, God Himself. Mimic God himself, be mimics of God as his beloved children. This is, this is so important for us. This is a faithful followership that says, I'm not going to be cranky. I'm not going to be inconsistent. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to serve. I'm going to have the right spiritual attitudes and I'm going to look at at the very pinnacle of servanthood and it's Jesus Christ and then when I see the opportunity to learn even from mere mortals like you and me, I'm going to look at Paul and Peter, I'm going to look at John Mark and how he fell and how he was restored, I'm going to look at other people even in the flock here, how they can be those whom I can follow and in the end I'm going to be exactly what Jesus Christ wants me to be. Because he's in charge of the whole process. And you say, well, how, how comprehensive is this? Look back at Philippians. And this will be the last passage. Look back at Philippians chapter 3. Do you want to see the comprehensiveness of this discipleship? Here's the comprehensiveness. Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 17. Philippians 3:17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What a tall order. <laughs> Join in, 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 in imitating me, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Well, what, 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 what kind of idea is this? How comprehensive is it? Look at chapter 4, verse 9. There's no, there's no comprehensiveness outside of this comprehensiveness. Philippians 4, 9. What you have learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things. That's everything, isn't it? I mean, what you've learned, what you've learned from me, and Timothy, and Epaphroditus, and your own beloved leaders, what you've learned. And not just what you've learned, what you've received. Uh, That is, your faithful followership. I'm working to receive this and I want to receive it all and what you've heard. You actually were there to hear the teaching and you actually heard from us both orally and written and seen in me. There's the example in the life. And I want you to practice these things and when you do, the God of peace will be with you. Is this not one of the key areas of the entire Christian life. Just learning, receiving, hearing, seeing. This is critical. And when you and I aspire to do it, the church grows and God is glorified and people are matured. And the very thing that Romans 8, 28 and 29 says says, And God will work all of these things for our good. Verse 29, And what is the purpose of that good? So that you and I might be conformed to the image of His Son. This is discipleship. And it can come in a myriad of ways and in a myriad of packages, but when it comes, it comes by God's grace, for His glory, and for the conformity of our lives to Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And if you and I are willing to do it, this church, will not only have never been the same, it will experience new vistas of growth so that this valley, the Cuneo Valley, will in fact itself never be the same because of our witness and the imitation of Jesus Christ in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is, this is a grand narrative, this idea of discipleship, this concept of who and how we're to be learners from others and how faithful we are as a follower. May it be, sovereign Lord, that you and I can be faithful followers of others, including, most importantly, our Lord Jesus Christ, and those who promote Him, and those who follow Him, so that we might mimic them as they mimic Christ. May this Bold example of Paul saying, Timothy, there's no one like him. He has proven worth. May we find the Pauls and Timothys of our age and may we follow them and may we ask for followers to follow us to the glory of God for the conforming of our lives to Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.